Hey everyone, welcome to the 16th episode of the Late Night Watch Talk podcast. As you can hear, I am doing another Watch the Road episode where I drive around and talk to you about watches. It's been an awful, awful long time. I've been working on the second part of the Gerald Genta Deep Dive um, podcast series. And for some reason, this episode has been a rough one. So it's taken me quite a bit of time. I'm still going down uh, rabbit holes. And telling the story of Genta is pretty crazy because it's almost like you have to tell the entire story of watchmaking in the 20th century. I mean, he was so prolific. He worked with so many different brands. Uh, He produced so many amazing designs that uh, I just find myself going down a ton of rabbit holes. And I feel like this second episode is a lot tougher than the first because this is where he's doing all of his designs, whereas the first one only touched on a couple of them. And while I'm at it, I just find myself digging into the history of different people, different brands and stuff. And I have to kind of rein myself in because a lot of these topics would be brilliant topics for their own uh, podcast episodes as opposed to a part of the Genta story. So I'm hoping to be able to wrap that up soon and figure in the meantime I should probably do another episode. It's been forever. So many things have been happening. I'm hoping in this episode I can kind of uh, get you up to date with some of it. So... What is on my wrist tonight? I am wearing the Serica 5303. This watch has come back from servicing. I think the last time that I chatted with you all, uh, it wasn't even on the radar that I was going to have to send it in. So, as many of you already know, probably, if you're familiar with this watch at all, the crowns do have an issue. And it's a problem with the movement, uh, the Newton movement, which is, I believe it was released in 2020. So it's a brand new movement. It's uh, not based on their prior movements from what I understand, but there is a crown issue. And when I got my Serica, it was behaving fine. So I thought maybe I kind of lucked out and my crown would be okay. But then uh, later on, it started acting funky. Uh, It would feel weird when I was setting it and stuff, and actually got to where I had to kind of pull, actively hold the crown, pull the crown out while I'm setting it for it to work. So I reached out to Serica, and if I've already told this story, my apologies. It's, um, I know that I've told this story um, on YouTube and stuff. I don't recall if I mentioned it here, so hopefully I'm not telling you it again. But uh, I reached out to Serica and they gave me the repair place for the West Coast and I contacted them. They were kind of tough to get a hold of because I'm not really a phone person. So my first uh, go-to in contacting them was email. And I emailed them and never heard anything back from them. So I called them and spoke with them and... uh, they were like, yeah, we can we can do it. All, all you have to do is send in the watch um, and give us your info, and we'll let you know once we, once we receive it and all that. So I boxed up the watch and sent it in and waited. Um, I don't know exactly how long I waited, but it felt like forever. So finally, 
I decided I would reach out to them and confirm that they got the watch. I was also kind of nervous that maybe I didn't give them all the info they needed to get it back to me, um, or to contact me, rather, if they need to. My address would be on the box, but... So I called them again, and uh, they had received the watch. They were a little bit backlogged, so they hadn't started it yet, but they assured me they'd get on it. And uh, I never heard from them again, but the watch... I don't think they contacted me again after that. I just had to... I just waited, and the watch showed up. But the cool thing is they... Uh, they build Serica directly, so I didn't have to pay out of pocket like I thought I would have to, and then reach out to Serica and, and try and let them know they had reimbursed me for that. So it was really painless. I just sent it off and had to wait. Just like, you know, if your watch is under warranty normally, you would send it in and you don't have to pay anything out of pocket. So this watch is back home and it is on my wrist. And I've totally missed it. This is such a beautiful watch. If you haven't seen the Serica 5303, you definitely should check it out. The thing that struck me about it when I first encountered them was the markers on the dial. They remind me of like Jetson's Im imagery and stuff because they're dot indices with lines that extend out to the edge of the dial. So they're very like space age looking to me. And uh, the second thing in the clincher for this watch was the bezel, uh, because it's a GMT bezel and a dive bezel. And the aesthetics of that is just amazing. So that is the watch that is on my wrist tonight. And speaking of dive watches, my first topic is an interesting one, because the other day I realized how lucky I was and how, how I totally dodged the bullet in not buying my grail watch because a few years ago i was really really into dive watches and at the time for me the ultimate piece that was somewhat within reach was the tudor pelagos and i remember going and looking at them in a boutique when i was on vacation in hawaii with my wife i think it was one of our anniversary trips actually and we were just wandering around shops and stuff, and there was a Tudor Pelagos there. And I remember looking at that watch. I had him get it out of the case, and I put it on, and kind of was hands-on with it. And it was an amazing watch. But now, now that I look back years later, I look at my collection, and, my, and it's absolutely unrecognizable to what my collection was at the time that I encountered the Pelagos. At that point in time, every watch that I owned was a dive style or dive watch, period. And all of those were on NATOs or actually they were first on rubber straps and then uh, kind of got tired of the discomfort of those straps. So then all my watches were on black NATOs. You'll see this as a trend with my collecting style. It's like I fixate on one style and that's all that I'm interested in. So all my watches were on NATOs. And then I kind of got tired of how they stretch when they get wet and stuff. And I encountered uh, shark mesh. So all of my dive watches then were on black shark mesh because it kind of had the aesthetic of a strap versus a bracelet, but it had all the benefits of a bracelet. And so that was my collection at that point in time. And if you look at my collection now, I think I'm at like 90% vintage dress watch. 
I have the Serica as my sole dive watch. I have a bunch of field watches and a few uh, contemporary dress watches. And everything that I own is under 40 millimeters. And most of those are kind of on the thinner side because I prefer my watches to not be super thick. Um, and so, as you could imagine, if I had purchased a Pelagos, that watch has characteristics that watches that I own, if they have those, I don't wear them. So it has a date window. And as brilliant as watches are, if they have a date window, I just gravitate toward the ones that don't first. So I had the Dolce Vita, which was a brilliant, absolutely brilliant watch. I recently sold it to get the Bolton, and the Dolce Vita had a date on it. It was so tiny that you could barely even see it, and you had to pretty much use a loop to read the date. But nevertheless, it's just a, a thing that subconsciously kind of bothers me, I guess, because I just wouldn't really be in the mood to wear that watch, and I would end up choosing pieces like the Nomos or something that don't have a date. And now that I own the Bolton, the Hamilton Bolton, it doesn't have a date, and I find that I actually wear it more than the Dolce Vita. Um, I don't wear it a ton because it's kind of outshined by some other pieces, and some of those I'll be discussing in a little bit on this episode, but but it does get more wrist time than the, the Dolce Vita uh, used to get. And also the Pelagos is pretty large and pretty thick. And one thing that I've learned about myself with dive watches in general, like the Serica here, is absolutely brilliant. I absolutely love it, but I still rarely wear it. I uh, just more in the mood for smaller vintage size classy dressy pieces. I just don't really gravitate toward tool watches and uh, vintage size or style field watches is pretty much the one exception to that. Those I'll gravitate toward often and in fact one of those has been kind of a uh, almost a daily wear for the past few weeks. It's just been kind of my go-to watch presently but you know like I had the Baltic Aquascaf, and every single time I see ads for that watch, I completely miss that watch. It is such a brilliant looking watch, and it's crossed my mind here and there to repurchase that sometime this year, because, I mean, every time I see the ads, I'm like, oh, that is so gorgeous. Oh, I want a Baltic again. Now, I got rid of that to get the Serica, so I don't regret doing that because the Serica is just amazing. But then I have to tell myself, if I get a Baltic, it's gonna sit on the shelf for a vast majority of the time. Because it doesn't matter how amazing and brilliant it is, it's just not the style of watch that I typically am stoked on day to day, you know? And so I've talked myself out of getting the Baltic a few times. And there's another watch that I had to do that same thing with that I mentioned that I'll be mentioning later. Uh, hopefully that was a car backfiring. Uh, yeah, some weird pops out there. Um, but yeah, I totally dodged the bullet with that Grail watch, and I'm still kind of really without a Grail watch. I mean, there's the Reverso, which I was going to go for, and kind of realized that. 
you know, it's still out of my pay grade and I just would feel bad spending that kind of money selfishly and not spending it on the family. And uh, so I kind of abandoned that one, but it's it would be on a list if I on my list if I was going to go for uh, Grail. But yeah, I'm really kind of without one. And anyway, my whole point with the Pelagos is if you're new to watch collecting or you haven't been collecting terribly long, I feel like it's a good idea to wait um, to not really you know try and find the the goal watch the grail watch to go after right away give yourself some time and explore more affordable pieces and by that i don't mean just cheap ones or whatever but pieces that are attainable for you and give yourself time to kind of uh find yourself find your voice when as as it were in collecting so for me uh, you know, as time went on, I realized that uh, not only is my personal style not really tool watches, but more dressy watches, but also my style is vintage um, styles. I love, I absolutely love the, the sizes, the aesthetics. I like how they aren't so bulky, and that's just, that's my style there. So I feel like if I do have a grail now, it's probably gonna be something along those lines. If it's contemporary, it's still gonna have a very classy style to it, like the Reverso, or the uh, car, uh, the Tank Americane. But I've had time enough to kind of know what my style is, to know what I like and don't like, because there are plenty of watches that I could buy that seem absolutely brilliant, but then I end up not wearing them. Well, now I kind of have an idea why. I've, you know, collected long enough to identify those things that just don't really, that don't cause me to gravitate toward those watches. So the moral of that story is be patient. And along those lines, I don't generally dive into drama. I pretty much avoid drama at all costs. But I figured... I did have something to say about a piece of drama that's been happening recently, and most of you out there will know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention names or anything, but the high level is uh, a watch person out there, a watch nerd out there, was selling some watches, I believe it was three, and another very high-profile watch nerd was going to purchase them. And... After the uh, agreement, the purchase agreement was made, um, the money never showed up. Like, it just took forever. They, there was assurances that the money was going to come. But the seller was like, ah, screw this, I'm tired of waiting. And he sells off a couple of the watches that he was going to sell to this initial person. Um, maybe all of them, actually. And then, all of a sudden, the money shows up. So he purchases back one of them, ships that off, and he figures he's going to buy the other two back somewhere and then ship those off to him. However, those were really, really tough to find, and so it just wasn't working out, and things started getting heated, um, refunds were demanded, and all this and that, and as I was listening to that story, I'm like, oh, it, 
feels like avoiding this drama, which is my preference always, was so easy. Like, in other instances, it may be tougher to avoid drama. Like, you just kind of find yourself in a bad spot. It's not like you made terrible choices. You made choices that made sense given the circumstances at the time, but things just... You, it was unavoidable. But in this case, it was absolutely, I feel it was absolutely avoidable, which is a tough opinion to have because I, I actually really like the person who I feel was in the wrong here. Um, the other person, uh, kind of a, I don't know, not a huge, terrible fan of, but, but yeah. So as I was hearing the story, I'm like, oh, you could have just avoided all this drama by, number one, just being patient and waiting. And if it's taking too long, point number two, communicate. You know, the, just outright contact them and be like, you know what? It's taking way too long for the money to show up. I'm going to have to back out of this. I'm. It's, this is ridiculous. So... I'm going to sell these watches off. If your money ends up showing up, I'll just transfer it right back to you. No harm, no foul. Sorry this didn't work out. Um, but then at a third level, let's say that we end up in this situation anyway, then it's really simple. Just return the money. Like, apologize. You know what? I, got, I was impatient waiting for the money. I was tired of sitting on these pieces. So I figured that it was just never going to... I was never going to get paid. So I sold them off. I apologize. I'll let you keep the one that I sent you and refund you the rest, or I'll just refund everything and you can send me that back, and let's just part ways with a handshake and not foul words toward each other. But but I guess drama is entertaining, so all of us were uh, watching this and watching other videos, making comments on it, and here I am talking about it, um, which is usually why I don't dive into this stuff. I feel like when drama happens, it's like... A shark feeding frenzy or whatever and there's an awful lot of people commenting on it without actually adding anything to the discussion but I feel like you could see the motivation to say something on it because there's so much interest in it and I really don't like doing that at all and that's why I'm not mentioning names or putting in the title of this or anything just felt like I would throw in my two cents on tips to avoid drama, period. And again, the funny thing about this story is it would have been so simple to avoid everything. Just, you know, be forthright, be honest and upfront and communicate. I mean, if I was waiting forever for money to arrive and I was starting to get impatient and stuff, I would reach out to the person who was buying them and just be like, hey, are you ever going to send the funds if not, let's just cancel this thing and I'll keep my watches. But, but yeah. Alright, so I am almost to my destination. I'm going to teach some Kung Fu for a while. After class, I'm going to join you again for the uh, commute back. And uh, I'll talk to you then. Alright, I'm back from Kung Fu. That was a great class. Got everybody nice and sweaty. Yeah. <clears throat> Alright, so let's talk some more watches. So I recently got rid of the khaki field. I believe last time I did an episode, I was considering it potentially. It has gone. And since then I've met Mr. D, who I might've mentioned previously, but 
he is the guy who is Watches of Remembrance, which is a shop on eBay. And him and I have been doing tons of uh, emailing back and forth. He's super knowledgeable in all the ways of A11 style and World War II, World War I watches, uh, military watches in general, but mostly those really old pieces. And so he takes cases that are homages to those old A11s and he fits them with quartz movements, um, mainly for reenactments and stuff. But the beauty of that, and why I was intrigued when I saw his, encountered his shop, is it's like having this old watch, but it's totally hassle-free. Like, you don't have to have it serviced. You don't have to worry about it because it has this movement in it from the 1930s, 1940s, or whatever. That's my only concern with A11 watches, is they're so old. Like, the first thing you would want to do is have it serviced, because who knows when it was serviced last. And if there's any parts that need to be replaced, I don't know how tough it is to find replacement parts for those. But with the quartz movement, you don't have any of that. So I've purchased a couple of his watches. I have the first one that I got, I don't even recall what brands their homage is to. Uh, I usually have to refer to the eBay listings where I purchased them to remember, but I think one of them is a Bulova homage of some sort, but yeah, so the first one that I got had a polished case, and it had kind of um, patinaed uh, paint on there. It's not really loom, but the, some of the markers are patinaed looking. They're kind of a cream color. The next one that I bought was a bead blasted case one kind of because I was about to get rid of the khaki field and I was thinking about replacing it with one of these A11 style watches because I like their proportions and stuff. I didn't need it to be water resistant because that's the job of the CWC. Uh, that is my wear in the water field watch and so yeah I got a bead blasted one and later on I got a second bead blasted one because he actually made this one kind of custom because I was telling him, you know, these watches would be absolute beasts, just tanks, if they had sapphire crystals on them because the quartz is no hassle, they're pick up and go type pieces, the cases, especially the bead blasted ones are just super tough. And if there's a sapphire crystal on there, bam, that thing is like just tough. So he made one like that for me and that piece is absolutely amazing. The crystal on it distorts so much. It's kind of a, it's a really domed crystal. It's really cool. It just looks absolutely amazing. Now recently, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but um, the PRX is coming out in a smaller size now. I think it was 36 millimeter, which is excellent because with that style of aesthetic, I feel like they really has to be smaller. Uh, my D1 Milano is kind of similar to that. It's very flat, uh, very thin case, and uh, it that thing just wears huge, like, I don't know, 43 or something crazy. And I feel like a 36 would be absolutely perfect for an aesthetic like that. The only problem for me personally, though, is the PRX still has a date on it, and I'm so weird, but I know that if I get the PRX with a date, I'm probably not really going to wear it because of the date thing. 
Which brings me to a couple sad tales. So the first one involves Autodromo. And, uh, oh, I better tell you. So I, my YouTube channel just recently passed 1,000 subscribers, huge milestone. And it, that happened right around Father's Day. And someone was asking me if I was going to get a celebratory watch. I forget who is telling me now, but... And I hadn't actually even thought of that, surprisingly. So then it, uh, the seed was planted, and I was like, oh, maybe I should get a celebratory watch. I mean, you only hit this milestone once, right? And, and it's on Father's Day, so kind of served dual purpose there. And one of the watches that I had seen recently on eBay was the Autodroma watch that I've been after ever since I first saw it. It's super, it's the one that's super synthwave looking. It has the green dial with the grid on it. And it looks absolutely brilliant. Oh, it just screams like DeLorean to me. But again, the problem is, I, if I buy this watch, it's not cheap. Um, I'm just afraid that I'm not really going to wear it terribly often. It's uh, larger than I usually prefer. It's a great, I mean, this is a brilliant watch. It's a great size. It's uh, 39 millimeters. There's no date on it, so that's a plus for it and as far as me considering a watch for myself personally. But at, even at 39, I usually tend to wear uh, 34 to 36, somewhere around there. And I just wonder, I, it's a lot of money to pay and I would hate to spend that kind of money on a watch that spends most of its life on the shelf. So sadly, I let that one go. It killed me to do so because it's such an amazing watch and I've really been after one. Now, I don't know what it ended up going for. It was probably way over my price range anyway. I think when I was watching it, I think it was around like 800, but I'm pretty sure it got over a grand easily near the end of the auction. I just forced myself to quit watching it because I knew I really shouldn't go for it. That I really shouldn't be spending even 800 anyway at this point in time because I have a ton of watches that need servicing. And this is the cost of collecting vintage mechanical watches because you kind of, at least in my opinion, you kind of have to, you really, if you care about the watch, you really should get it serviced pretty as soon as you can when you get it because who knows how long it's been. Just like my mention of the uh, A11 watches, they're really old watches and you just don't know when they were serviced last. And so you don't know if there's like little bits of metal that may have come off of old parts or if there's gunked up um, lubricant in there that may, might actually cause some damage to the movement. At least that's that's my opinion. I'm I'm a bit more relaxed about servicing watches when you know when they've been serviced last. You know, I don't expect that I'll be servicing my watches every five years. Probably more like every ten years or so. But then again, my watches spend half of their time sleeping. So I imagine that ten will easily be a decent amount of time for them. You know, they're newer watches, so they have synthetic lubrication. And I've heard some people advising that five years is too frequent. So I kind of, you know, somewhere between five and ten, I think. But 
So recently, I've been finding, I found a few brilliant vintage watches on eBay. And what's brilliant about them also is the prices. So if you're not already aware, because you, you know, watch the YouTube channel or whatever, I recently found a silver dial Olympus, um, Zodiac Olympus mystery dial, silver. And I got it for really, really cheap. I, I expected that watch to go for a few hundred or so. I mean, I feel like the old Olympos pieces are kind of sought after. Now, this one does have some interesting text that someone had printed on the mystery dial, which ruins the whole thing, the whole mystery dial illusion. But, but yeah, that was uh, under 200 bucks for that piece. And then later on, I found a gold-filled Wittenauer dress watch, and that one was even cheaper. I think I paid 80 for that. And then recently, uh, I found a Citizen that's kind of almost like the PRX style, that late 70s, 80s style. And that one's a quartz piece with a brilliant dial. It's silver and it's kind of textured. It looks almost like um, stone with kind of a grain going the same direction on it. And that was like full on like uh, yard sale price or something. I think I got that for 50 and it's in pretty decent shape. But now the problem is I have all of these amazing vintage watches that I actually really care about. So the inexpensive Palliot watches, stuff like that, I haven't bothered to have those serviced at all. I figure I'll just have those until they start misbehaving and acting like they need servicing. But these watches, like the Olympos and the Wittenauer, and I have an Enacar also that I found and got, all of these vintage pieces I really care about. And so like the pull router, I wanna get them serviced as soon as I can. And the Olympos is the one that's next up on my list. But the problem is, with the vintage Olympos mystery dial watches, my understanding is most of the time, nearly always, there's a problem with the Canon pinion. And those are really difficult parts to find or impossible to find. So the watchmaker will have to kind of come up with a workaround, either manufacture a Canon pinion that'll fit, or I don't know how they deal with that, but the upshot of it is, if the Canon pinion is bad, that's an additional few hundred dollars on top of the base cost of doing a full servicing on a movement, where they take the whole movement apart, clean it, re-lube it, put it back together, put it on the timographer and regulate it and stuff. So. I could be looking at about $700 just for the Olympo servicing. So I'm not sure when I'm gonna be able to do that. I'm kind of slowly building up my bank account, but I want, I don't wanna send that in for servicing and then be totally broke. So I'm hoping to kind of save above and beyond that. So when I send it off, there's still some funds in there. So I can still do a little bit of eBay hunting. And I have no idea what the cost is gonna be for the Wittenauer. Uh, these are, you know, mid-century watches, so there could be parts that need to be replaced. I'm hoping not, but the upside is, you know, there's those costs that you have to consider if you're collecting vintage mechanical watches, but the upside, the positive note, is once you do that initial servicing, if you keep up with your servicing and stuff, I think from then on, 
it'll be it'll be quite a bit cheaper for you. I mean, you'll still have to pay, you know, to have the full movement servicing, because uh, that's what I would do. You know, five or ten years down the road, I would pay them to take the whole thing apart, service it, clean it, look for any parts that need to be replaced. Um, yeah, and so it's spendy, but then again, that's only every five or ten years, and you have that peace of mind that the movement was recently serviced and should be good for quite a while thereafter. But yes, I did end up getting a piece as a celebration of the subscri subscribers and, you know, I guess a Father's Day watch. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. I got it brand new, though, so it's not a vintage watch. It's brand new. I got it on the gray market, and I will tell you that it is a Hamilton. That's all I'm going to say. I have no idea when it's going to arrive. When I first ordered it, uh, I was told that there may not be any stock of it, which is interesting why it was still listed, but I feel like it shouldn't be listed at all if there's a question whether there are actually watches to sell. But So I was supposed to contact the company and inquire if there were any, if there was any watches. And I waited a little while. There still was no change in my order, so I reached out to them. And I think they kind of misunderstood. I, I told them that on my order it said that there may not be any in stock and that I should reach out. And I was just wondering if there are any in stock. And it was kind of funny. Their response was apologizing for the delay and that they'll, they don't know when they'll be able to send it out or whatever. And But I checked it. I checked the order today and it says that it's awaiting shipping. So my, it sounds to me like they actually had the watch or got the watch and it's about to be shipped out. So it could be here within a few weeks. It could be a bit longer, who knows. But when it does arrive, I will let you guys know what it is. I'm pretty excited. I've been, I've seen this particular piece in person once. But that was way back in my dive watch days, so I didn't pay a ton of attention to it. I just noted it. Oh, yeah, one of those. So, no, this is not a dive watch. But I've never had one on the wrist or really paid any attention to it. So, we'll see how much I like it when it comes in. I'm hoping that I like this watch even more than I anticipate. If not, it is a piece that does fetch a decent amount of money used. So purchasing, and, and this, is, uh, this is the way to do it, right? You purchase a watch on the gray market. So, because oftentimes they're like half of the, the normal retail for these pieces. You get it there and, and hopefully it'll be a piece kind of like this one where essentially you might actually make money selling it used, um, even though it's not a strong, it's not really strong in the market. Like, if you paid retail for it, you're immediately going to lose half no matter what. But getting a gray market, it actually, I've seen them sell for over half uh, sometimes. So so I guess if you paid full price, you wouldn't lose over half. You, you might lose just under half, actually. But but yeah, we'll, we'll find out. I'm hoping that uh, I'll actually love this piece. But uh, I am arriving at my destination. It's been really great talking to you guys again. It's been forever. I'll have to be sure to kind of keep up on some of these episodes while I'm 
working on doing the deep dive episodes that I would like to do. So, all right. I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.